Church, remain standing as we hear the word of our Lord this morning from Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Church, into this dark, sad, and broken world, God sent His Son, Jesus, to bring us joy. And so this morning, we light the second candle of Advent as a reminder to us that our joy is found in a person. And his name is Jesus. Let's make our prayer. Father, we thank you on this Advent morning, preparing our hearts for Christmas. We thank you that you gave us Jesus. That your son came to this dark and broken world, this world filled with broken people. And into sadness, into despair, the light of Christ has shone. And Lord, we thank you that the light of Jesus brings joy to all those who will trust in him. And so, Father, this morning my prayer is that you would fill our hearts with faith to believe the truth about Jesus. And that, God, our lives would then be filled with joy because of Christ. Lord, I pray for every sad and grieving person joining us in this place, watching us from their homes, that their hearts would be filled with joy because of the coming of Christ at Christmas and his soon coming again. Lead us in your word. Teach us what you'd have us to learn. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated this morning. 
I want to invite you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're continuing our series for Advent, and we're looking at Luke chapter 2 this month of December, focusing on the four traditional themes of Advent. Those themes we talked about last week are peace, joy, hope, and love. Last week, we focused on this passage, looking through the lens of peace, and this morning, we're going to return to this passage and focus by looking through the lens of joy. We want to see that Jesus came to bring us joy. And what I hope you'll find is that as you dig into this text, you find powerful insights into what joy is and how Jesus brings us joy, how we can live with the joy Jesus came to bring us. And church, you need to know this week I've been praying for you. I've been praying for our hearts. I know we live in a time, in a day and age, and many of us are walking through a specific season that is marked by pain and suffering and hardship. And my prayer is that in the midst of this world, in the midst of our lives, in the midst of our own brokenness, that God would fill our hearts. He would fill your heart with the joy that is ours because of Jesus, that you would leave this place today. And you would live each day from this day forward with deep and abiding, sober, serious, abundant, eternal joy because of Jesus. So here's what I want us to do. Let's walk through this text a little bit at a time. And I want us to see what there is to learn about the joy that Jesus brings. Look at verse 8. We'll start here. It says, in the same region there were shepherds. Out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Okay, so Luke is setting the scene here. And he tells us that a group of shepherds were watching over their flock by night. And there's something you may or may not know about the author, Luke, here. He is a man who was trained as a physician. He was a medical doctor. And what you might expect from a medical doctor is an acute attention to detail. And that's actually exactly what you find When you study the writings of Dr. Luke, he has an attention to detail and he includes very important details that serve a purpose for us. And one of the important details that he includes right here in verse 8 is the fact that these shepherds were in the same region as Mary and Joseph when Jesus was born. Now, that word region simply means a portion of land. In James chapter 5, verse 4, it's used to refer to an individual's field. And so Luke is making sure that we know that right there in that same region, these weren't people who were a long, long way off. They were right here in this same region, adjacent or where Jesus was lying in a manger having come to this earth. And and the question then is, where were Mary and Joseph? Well, we saw that last week. They were in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is just about five miles away from the city of Jerusalem. Now, you may be wondering, why does that detail matter? Why would Luke include that detail? Well, here's why it matters. It matters because there was a very special flock that was kept in the region between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. There was this massive flock of sheep that were raised in this region, and they were raised to be sacrificed at the temple of God in Jerusalem. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but the temple of God in Jerusalem would have required a massive amount of sacrificial sheep. Two times every single day, morning and night, 
a sheep would be sacrificed at the temple. And it had to be a spotless sheep without blemish or without any kind of brokenness. So once in the morning, once in the evening, a sheep would be sacrificed as an atoning offering for sin, as the acknowledgement that people were sinning every single day. As a matter of fact, their sins were so abundant that one sacrifice a day was not enough. Two sacrifices, morning and night, just signifying that all throughout the day, sin had been accumulating among the people of that nation. And it was also a reminder that their their sacrifice could never actually take away sins because they just had to keep happening. Day after day after day, sacrifices had to be made because they were not able to stop themselves from sinning. In addition to those daily sacrifices, families throughout Israel would make a journey from their home to the temple to offer sacrifices on behalf of their individual family and their individual sins. And many of those families who would travel from throughout Israel would come to the city or that region and they would wait until they got there to actually purchase a sacrificial lamb. And that's because the lamb had to be without spot or blemish. And traveling in hard environments with a small lamb would be a recipe for harming or hurting or blemishing that lamb. And so many of those families would wait until they arrived and purchase the lamb once they got to the region just outside of Jerusalem here near Bethlehem. And so there's this immense need for countless sheep to be sacrificed here in the temple of Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, ancient Hebrew writings teach us that any stray sheep that was found in this region should be assumed to belong to that special flock and should be treated with ceremonial cleanness because that was a potential sacrifice at the altar of God. And the shepherds who tended that special flock would have been trained to understand the purpose of those sacrifices and also the Old Testament teaching of the law that required very specific details to be followed for those sacrificial lambs. They would have been able to spot lambs that had no defect, no no blemish, and were qualified to be set aside as sacrifices to God. As a matter of fact, it's a really interesting study if you have time to look in depth. My friend Jim Johnson and I were talking this week. He actually has some in-depth teaching about this flock on his website. And I'll embed in my notes that will be posted on the website a link to his website and specifically the webpage that teaches about the flock of God and Migdal Eder, a special tower that's referenced in Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah of Jesus. But for this morning, these shepherds are likely shepherds who were tasked to watch over the flock of sheep that supplied God's temple with sacrificial lambs. And just think about what their life would have been like. They would have had a unique view of just how dark and sinful our world actually is. Because day after day, night after night, they were tasked with providing enough sheep to satisfy the need to have daily offerings for the sin of people. Every day, these shepherds 
would have a unique perspective on just how sinful our world is that every single day more and more and more sheep are needed. Why? Because more and more sin is invading the darkness of this world. Think about that. These shepherds lived with a constant reminder of the sinful darkness of this world. Their very jobs were proposed because there was such pervasive sin in our world. So it's appropriate then that as Luke is sharing some of these details, we find them here in our text in the middle of the night, keenly aware of the darkness of sin. And that's when it happens to this group of shepherds. In the midst of the darkness, heaven breaks through. The light of God's glory shines on this hillside. Look at verse 9. It says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Do you see it here? Into the darkness of a sin-filled world. To people who are keenly aware of just how dark and broken People are because of their sin. The light of God's glory breaks through. This is, guys, this is one of the reasons why we light candles at Advent. When Jesus came into this world, the light of God's glory invaded the darkness of this world. And don't you know something about light and darkness? It's that darkness doesn't stand a chance in the presence of light. Did you know that? When's the last time you turned on a light switch and wondered who would win, light or darkness? Never. You don't even give it a thought because darkness doesn't stand a chance in the presence of light. And the light of God's glory comes to the dark sinfulness of this world. Darkness cannot stand in the presence of light. And the shepherds, you might think, having been given a job that required them to think about the glory of God there in the temple, the Holy of Holies, just a few miles away, thinking of these lambs being raised for sacrifice in that temple, that their heart would leap with joy immediately at the presence of God. But that's not what happens, is it? The shepherds are scared to death. Verse 9 says they're filled with great fear. That word great translates the Greek word of the original language, megas, Now, mega is a word that we've adopted into the English language, but it's taken straight out of the Greek language. The Greek word megas is something that pertains to to a thing being exceedingly great in comparison to a standard. So, for instance, if you think of a 12-ounce can of Coke as the standard, in my life, it's the 12-ounce can of Coke Zero as the standard of all standards. I love that drink. And if that 12-ounce can is the standard, then a 64-ounce double big gulp from 7-Eleven is a mega drink in comparison, right? The 64 ounces greatly exceed the standard of what is common or what is normal in a sense. Well, that's what the word mega means. It greatly exceeds a standard. Now, what did we just read about the shepherds? When the glory of God came on this hillside, they were not joyous as a response. They were filled with mega fear. Let's think about what he's saying. Compared to every other fear that they'd ever had as the standard, this 
fear was exceedingly great in comparison. Why were they so afraid? Well, because they were just like everybody else in Israel. They were sinners. These shepherds were sinners. And in the darkness of their sin, they could not stand in the presence of God's glorious holy light. But look at verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The message that accompanies God's glorious light. It's not intended to bring mega fear. It's intended to bring mega joy. That word great is found again in verse 10. Great joy, mega joy. And what is it that brings mega joy? Well, you see it right there. Good news. Good news brings great joy. And guys, you know that truth without me even telling you about it. For instance, if I told you that I was going to give everybody in this room a crisp $100 bill, that would bring you great joy, right? Because you would want $100, right? Four of you, this won't cost me much, would believe. You're not getting $100, though. Boy, I got to make that clarified. Here's the story. Good news brings joy. But there's something else you know without me telling you. The, the, the better the news, the bigger the joy, right? So the better the news, the bigger the joy. For instance, which would bring you more joy? If I said I'd give you a $100 bill or if I would give you a $1 million check? Now, some of you are like, I'll take the $100 bill because I don't think that check's going to cash. <laughs> Just follow with me, right? The bigger the better the news, the bigger the joy. And before we move on, I just want to point out something that you really see vividly portrayed here with these shepherds. In the span of two sentences, these shepherds' hearts move from great fear to great joy. You see that there? Just in a couple sentences, they swing like pendulums back and forth between joy toward it or away from it, depending on the news they hear. And guys, you need to know that. That's a really important thing for us. Our hearts are just like those shepherds. Our hearts are like pendulums that swing toward or away from joy, depending on the most recent news we've heard. Depending on how good or bad the news is, our hearts, our natural response is either toward or away from joy. Let me give you a couple of examples. I got an email this week from faithful member of our church who sends me some things that encourage me or that that help me kind of grow as a pastor. It's really an awesome friendship that we've developed over the years. And this individual sent me because they know this would be good news to me that they quote, have it on, and this is a quote, moderately good authority that a Chipotle burrito is coming to Merritt Island sometime in the next year. And I responded in email Good news brings great joy. Thank you for encouraging your pastor. I heard that news, and guess what happened? The pendulum of my heart began to swing toward joy, right? Now stick with me and imagine that that brought your heart joy, but imagine that then you got another email. Another email that said your accountant has mishandled your taxes for the past 15 years, and the IRS will seize your home and all your assets in the next month. The good news about Chipotle that made your heart swing toward joy would be quickly overshadowed by the bad news, right? And the pendulum of your heart would swing away from joy. 
straight toward fear. Now imagine that you got another call, a call from the doctor notifying you that the recent test work that you'd had done on your blood found evidence of an incurable disease. That bad news about taxes would then be overshadowed. It would take a back seat over more bad news, bad news that was even worse than the previous bad news. And again, your heart, like a pendulum, would shift further and further away from joy. You would go from joy to mega fear. But just keep going. Imagine that the week after that, you get another call from your doctor. As you sit down and meet with them, you find out that an amazing new treatment has just been discovered and that it will cure your disease. It will restore your life. It will save your health. That good news then would overshadow all the bad news you just received about your taxes and even your health. And your heart would begin to swing back toward joy. Guys, our hearts are like that and we need to know it. They swing back and forth toward or away from joy, depending on the news our heart is contemplating at any given moment. And when the news is good or really, really good, our heart swings strongly toward joy. But when the news is bad or really, really bad, it swings strongly away from joy. Here's what that means. It means the only way for us to live with unshakable joy is to somehow receive news that's so good that no matter what bad news you receive, it cannot cancel out the good news you already have. Before we move into that dynamic, I want us to just know this. The Bible actually shares with us that There is ultimate bad news that all of us need to hear. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 verse 23 that all of us have sinned against God. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says that the payment or the penalty for our sin is an eternal death in a place the Bible calls hell. In Isaiah 64 verse 6 The Bible says that all of our righteousness or all of the good things that we could ever do, they're actually like filthy rags. That means that there's nothing that we can do to clean ourselves up or make ourselves right with God. As a matter of fact, we're so far gone in our sin that Ephesians chapter 2 says we are sons of disobedience and children of wrath and enemies of God. Here's what that means in everyday language. We are God's enemies and he will destroy us eternally because of our sin, because of our rebellion against him and there's nothing we can do in our own power to make ourselves right with God. I know that is not popular teaching and I know that isn't something that our world can hardly even conceive that we would believe. But listen to me, friend, that's exactly what the Bible says. There is ultimate bad news that hangs over every heart and every person in this world today, including you. And if the Bible is true, and rest assured, it is. And if the pendulum of our hearts move toward or away from joy based on the news we receive, and that news is true about us, then it begs this question, what on earth could ever actually make you happy? 
If you're condemned by God to spend eternity paying for your sin under his wrath in hell, what could possibly cancel out that bad news? I mean, what does it matter if you could keep your home and get a better job and afford a nicer car? What does it matter if you would somehow win that lottery for more than a million dollars and be filthy rich and never have to work again? What does it matter if you have perfect physical health and live to be 100? What does that matter? How does that good news cancel out the ultimate bad news hanging over our heads as people? The answer is it doesn't, which is why we have a world that is mired in joylessness, pursuing cars and homes and jobs, wanting to win some form of lottery whether it's financial or social or some other thing, pursuing health, knowing in the back of their mind their health will not last forever and neither will their life. And they're joyless as a result. Why? Because they live, whether they are cognizant of it or not, under the declaration of their own sin and rebellion against God. There is bad news. And what could possibly cancel out that kind of of bad news in a way that would always give you something to live with a sense of joy. I'll tell you what, it would take ultimate good news to overcome ultimate bad news. And you want to know the good news? That's exactly what Jesus came to bring. Look at verses 10 and 11. And the angel said to them, fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Do you see it there? They were afraid with mega fear, the fear that exceeds every other standard fear. And they are told as a result of this good news, they can fear not. You don't have to be afraid anymore. As a matter of fact, you can live with great joy now because of this great news. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. You want to know what could cancel out the bad news of your sin and separation from God? It's right there. There's good news that can bring you mega joy. The best news that brings the biggest joy that cannot be canceled out by anything. Here it is. God sent us a Savior who is Jesus Christ the Lord. He has come as a rescuer on a mission to save us. He lived a perfect life. We could not live a sinless life, obedient in every way to God the Father. He died on the cross as a payment for our sin. He was raised to new life three days later to display God's power over sin, death, and hell itself. And to show that God the Father is pleased with this sacrificial lamb named Jesus So that anyone, the Bible says anyone, including you, who will call on Jesus in faith, trusting him to save them from their sin, they will be rescued. You will not spend eternity paying for your own sin if you will trust that Jesus came from eternity into time to pay for your own sin. He came to save you. 
in every way you need to be saved, saved from the penalty of sin, a place called hell, saved from the power of sin, the ways you can't change yourself, and one day saved from the very presence of sin when he takes us out of this broken, dark, and sinful planet and places us forever in the home of our Father God himself. Listen, friend, you can have great joy today because Jesus Christ has come and he is Savior Christ the Lord. That is the best news ever and it brings the biggest joy you can imagine. And before we close, what I want us to do is I want to show you the key then to living in the mega joy that comes from that good news. Look down at verses 15 and 16. Verse 15 says this, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. You guys notice that phrase there in verse 15? The shepherds hear the good news that I just shared, the news that the angels brought from heaven to earth. They hear the good news about Jesus. Here's what they say in response. Guys, let's go see this thing that has happened. Now, they haven't seen Jesus yet, have they? No, that doesn't happen until verse 16. But they already say it's happened, right? Okay, maybe I shouldn't have made that a question. They already say it's happened in verse 15. Why? Because they believe it. A few minutes ago, I shared that I was going to write all of you a check for a million dollars. And none of you rejoiced with great joy. You know why? Because you didn't believe it. And you were right not to, but that's not the point. The point is, the key to living with the great unshakable joy of Jesus is to actually live like you believe the good news. They experienced great joy, not because they heard the good news about Jesus, but because they believed the good news about Jesus And that's our big idea for this morning. Great joy comes from believing the good news about Jesus. Friend, if you want to live with the mega joy that Jesus brings, the joy this world can't take away, then here's the key. Believe and live like you believe the good news about Jesus, that he has come and is coming again as Savior Christ And Lord, listen to me, friend, there's good news even within that. It means that our pursuit of joy isn't a life of fighting for a feeling. It's not that we have to drum up joy inside of our hearts by trying to make ourselves feel a certain way. You won't have joy by pursuing joy. It's not how it works. Joy is a byproduct of something. It's what happens when your heart thinks about and believes the truth about Jesus. So the fight for joy isn't a fight to pursue a feeling. It's a fight to believe a truth, to preach to yourself over and over again the truth that is yours about Jesus. Because here's the reality. We live still in a broken and sinful world. 
And there will be seasons and times when the broken and sinfulness of this world will fill your hearts with godly sorrow. There will be times when you will be like Paul and you will say, I was utterly burdened beyond my own strength living in a broken and sinful world. There will be moments where you will endure the loss that comes as the result of living in a world that is no longer as God intended it. And you will grieve like Jesus standing outside the grave of his friend Lazarus. You will weep. But that doesn't mean you have to live without joy. Because none of the bad news of this world cancels out what's true for you in Jesus. And so the joy that Jesus brings is the result of believing what is true even when we feel the pain of this world. So friend, as you experience and walk through the inevitable pain and suffering of this life, I want to encourage you, fight for joy, not by trying to make yourself feel a certain way. Fight for joy by preaching the good news about Jesus to your own heart and praying God would give you faith to believe that in those moments when there is genuine sadness because it will come in a world that's filled with sin. Pray that your heart would believe the good news of Philippians 4.19 that he will supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus and in the midst of the sadness of your loss, rejoice in the midst of sadness with the good news that Jesus will supply your needs. In the midst of the trials that grieve your heart because those trials come as a result of sin, preach James chapter one to your own heart that in those trials you can rejoice because God is working in the midst of them to make you more like Jesus by Christ's power. Preach Philippians one to your own heart that in the midst of death itself you can rejoice because God will use death to us Usher you into the presence of Jesus where there is fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. While you may not feel good about your circumstances in a broken and sinful world, you can still rejoice in the midst of your circumstances because joy isn't the pursuit of a feeling. It's a fight for faith to believe what is always true about you in Jesus no matter what. And what is true about you in Jesus can never be canceled out by the bad news that's told you in the darkness of this world. And the good news is this. You have a Savior whose name is Jesus. And whatever the mess is that you're in today, whatever the pain is that you're experiencing today, whatever the suffering You're walking through that is real and grievous. Whatever it is, you have a Savior who will save you from that. So go ahead and rejoice. The trials won't last forever, but your home in heaven will. The pain won't last forever, but your pleasure in Christ will. Your grief won't last forever. But your joy in the presence of your Father will because you have a Savior who is Jesus Christ the Lord. Hear the good news that brings great joy.
Jesus has come. And he's coming again. And he is Savior and Christ and Lord for all who trust in him. Are you trusting in Jesus? Then rejoice. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? And as you are walking through the darkness and difficulty, I want to just encourage you to think for a moment. Think for a moment about the news that you have received that's threatening to rob you of joy. And many of you know right away what that is. Acknowledge for a moment the sadness and grief that are overwhelming you today. Allow your heart to think for just a moment about the darkness that has been hanging over your life, your family, your world right now. And then think about Jesus. Preach the gospel right now to your own heart. It's for that brokenness that Jesus came. It's into that darkness Jesus came. And he lived and died and rose again so that he could rescue you from that darkness. And in the midst of your pain, would you rejoice? In the midst of your sorrow and grief, would you rejoice? That the reality of pain does not cancel out what is true about you because of Jesus. And if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ right now, would you call on Jesus to save you? Unto you, for you, is born in the city of David a Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. And he promises to save you from your sin, to rescue you from all this world's brokenness if you will trust in him. Right now, would you trust in Jesus? Call on him to save you by faith and give thanks. Jesus will save all who call on him, including you. Father, I pray that our hearts would believe the truth about Jesus. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit, we would live as men, women, and children who proclaim good news to our own hearts. Who look to your word and see what's true about us in Christ and proclaim to ourselves what is true, even in our grief even in our sadness, even in our sorrow. Help us believe that we have a Savior who's come to rescue us, to redeem us from all our brokenness, to restore us to you and to one day take us home to heaven. Lord, may we be filled with joy because of Jesus this Christmas. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.